Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It's the Premier League preview show for week 9 of the 18-19 season. I'm Tom Rennie and coming up this weekend, Chelsea are being taken seriously all of a sudden. Eden Hazard has upped his game after a year of indifference and could plunge the knife into Jose Mourinho for the second time in his career as the Red Devils head to Stamford Bridge on Saturday. That's the big one this weekend, but there's plenty more to talk about with City and Liverpool tied with the Blues at the top, a big derby between West Ham and Tottenham, and plenty more to sink our teeth into as the Premier League is back. Brackets again, close brackets. Let's say hello to our panel for today and let's start with TalkSport's football editor who gets no time off. We've had a few days off, Premier League journos, but he's here covering League One, League Two, the Checker Trade Trophy, all the good stuff. Working hard. How are you, David Walker? You all right? I'm okay, but I'm a, I'm a bit depressed now. Why? You, you've just been sitting here for 15 <laughs> minutes before we start recording, telling the lads about your amazing trip to New York. <laughs> yeah. And as you just said, I've been here sending the moose to <laughs> Harrogate. <laughs> <laughs> we, we admire your work ethic, though. That's the thing. Without you, this place falls apart. Uh, great to have you with us as ever. Uh, also with us on the show, back with us, uh, David Connolly, former Leicester, West Ham, Watford, Feyenoord, Republic of Ireland striker. And plenty of those League One and League Two clubs. And plenty of those as <laughs> Well, you, you know your stuff when it comes to going through the divisions. It's great to have you back with us. Uh, and with us for the first time this season on the preview show, a Southampton legend, which means we're going to have to ask him about Southampton, which is a shame because he seems like he's in such a good mood today. Uh, Franny Benali's here. How are you, mate? I'm really good, Tom. Yep. Uh, can you ask me a little bit about New York, even though I've never been to New York <laughs> rather than Saints? Let's let's do Manhattan instead. Uh should say, if you're listening to this programme on a radio station, which many of you will be, you can download an extended podcast, search for TalkSport Premier League, preview show on Acast, iTunes or any other good podcast provider. Right, let's get into match one. It is the 12.30 UK time kickoff on Saturday. Chelsea against Manchester United. The Blues looking to 
remain unbeaten in their first nine games of a Premier League season for the third time. They did it in 05-06 and 14-15. Both of those times, they were Premier League champions. Who was the manager then, I wonder? Uh, in all competitions, Man United haven't won at Stamford Bridge since Sir Alex Ferguson retired at the end of the 12-13 season. Oh, it's so fun, isn't it, thinking back to those Sir Alex Ferguson days and how it's fallen apart since then. How's it feel to be mortals, United fans? Not as fun, is it? Or maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, Let's start with David Connolly on this and talk about Jose Mourinho. We have to. Now, it was frustrating for me on the Monday of the international break. I opened the papers and it's all about Jose Mourinho getting a, a, a punishment, a charge from the Football Association for what he said after that great comeback against Newcastle, the kind of gesticulations and whatever he said to camera it was frustrating because this international break not only has it been blessed by my visit to New York but also we haven't spoken about Jose Mourinho for a couple of weeks it's been been great and we have to do it now and it's all about how much pressure is he under does he need to win this game does he need to save his job with three points? Where are we with the Man United saga now? Um, I, d- I don't think he needs to, to win this game and I think it'll be difficult for him. Uh, I think he'll be set up, as always, to be a pragmatist. He definitely won't want to come away from there beaten. But I guess the second half performance was really good against Newcastle because obviously, you know, when they're down, they could have just chucked in the towel. I think his players' reaction and obviously his subs, Wamata, had a big part to play in that, you know, was superb. And I guess maybe that emotion spilled over at the end because um, he did swear although it was in Portuguese and I agree with the ban to be honest and as you say look we haven't had much to talk about um, because of the break um, but look they're eighth in the league the thing is I think this time last year City were, were so or close to being so far away from them mm. as it is they're, they're, they're still within touching distance they're only what seven points or whatever you know if they nick a point here and build from there I think a point for them will be I think Jose will set up uh, not to get beat a, bit, a little bit like our Pep's up against Liverpool away from home I think he'll set up not to get beat and go and build from there but a massive three points last week for them Franny with the way they played against Newcastle I was doing the commentary of the game and, and I thought that, that Newcastle should have been five or six nil up at half time yeah. you know they, they bossed the chances they bossed the game they were shell shocked Man United great comeback as David rightly says but that first half for me was more indicative of where Man United are in the second half. Why? Because Newcastle crumbled because they were ahead and they were like, what do we do? I mean, you've seen Southampton do that in recent times. The Brighton game, a great example of we're 2-0 up now. We've yeah. not been 2-0 up all season. Newcastle hadn't led in a game all season. That led to a lot of, of what happened, I think. How much positivity can they take from that game, United? Or will there be that what on earth happened in that first 45? And also, who plays at the back here? Like Lindelof was on and he got taken off because he was awful. Does Bailly come in? What happens with United defensively? There's there's that dilemma for, for Jose, who he does line up. Um, and we've seen him shuffle the pack throughout the season already, haven't we, Tom? Um, but yeah, what a comeback. I mean, it, it could be the catalyst to have that little shift in the, in the season for them. Um, in many ways, you'd be saying the last place you want to go is to go and play Chelsea at this moment of the season, given their form and the confidence that they're in. Um, but little little shifts, you know, David Atelier and, and sometimes just grinding out a, a point or the victory, and, and especially under the circumstances, being two down at halftime and then scoring three in the second half, scoring almost with the last kick of the game, um, could just be that shift that just gives him that little lift somewhere. Um, there's, there's deeper issues, obviously, at the club, on the pitch, off the pitch everything about Jose um, so th- th- there's more challenges but th- th- you know agree with David he'll probably be going there to, to at least take a point 
um, don't want to come away with nothing um, because you know if they they come away with nothing, they're they're a long way off. If if Chelsea win this, you know that'll take them to 23 points. United still only on 13, so you know they've got to stay in touch. They've got to keep that contact somehow. Um, so not losing is a priority. But they're not even playing the same sport as Man City, though, are they? Like you both said, they've got to look at Man City seven points behind. That's already too much. They aren't going to make up seven points well, on Man City. I, no one is, are they? Well, I don't know. I mean, look, it's still very early in the season. A couple of wins changes everything. But I think that the, you asked the question, Tom, does he need to win this game mm. to, to save his job? He's a long way from the... from the. He's seven points behind the, the leaders at the moment. And that could be, as Franny just said, that could be ten points at the end of this weekend. But I think the key differential and the key point that Ed Woodward is looking at will be fourth place. The last two managers, they've been sacked when it became clear that they weren't going to qualify for the Champions League. When David Moyes, they got rid of him when he was in 7th or 8th. It was too far, they couldn't do it. Louis van Gaal won the FA Cup, but they got rid of him because he finished outside the top four. If they don't get in the top four, if it looks like they're not going to get in the top four, that's when I think the trigger moment will come and they think we need to change this. But I just wonder, David, a man of your international experience, whether this international break came at a bit of a bad time for Manchester United. After that win, they probably wanted another game quickly to capitalise on the momentum. Now all these players have gone away to places where they're probably more happy than they are at Manchester United. <laughs> Rashford's gone off to England and had a great time. Pogba's gone off and been the lord of the manor with the French team. Now they come back to old miserable Mourinho. And it's back to square one. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'd agree, um, you know, that um, there's no doubt. I think the, 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 the substitution last week after 19 minutes was, a, you know, that was his sign of, of desperation you know that was his last I wouldn't I don't know maybe possibly last throw of the dice if that had gone wrong I, I think so because they did have the international break I know what David says they haven't previously sacked them their managers until later in the season when it's become apparent um, however you know this is Man United you're talking about and they've got Juventus coming up you know he did, look, he got the reaction that he wanted <laughs> unbelievably from one matter a player he didn't actually want at Chelsea he just, he's obviously ended up at the same club and he seems to be the one that's come to his rescue look the international break can be a, a, a hindrance or it can be a real help for certain players when you go away. Obviously, it's a chance to voice your displeasure. You know, so you, you can talk to the press and say, oh, I'm not happy about this, I'm yeah, not happy about that. Did we get one? That. Did we get a Pogba French interview this not time? Not too much, I don't no, think. No, really. I think this yeah. one was was quite quiet. I, yeah. met, uh, I did see Tony Kroos complain about his Real Madrid, and you know, but actually for Man United, it was it was pretty quiet. Pereira, um, was, uh, I've, I've seen actually this morning, lifted the lid on the conversation in training. Right. You yes. know the video that we saw. Yeah. He was saying Mourinho was asking Pogba, why did you post that Instagram post during the match? And Pogba's explanation was, at the time, that Manchester United's Wi-Fi was too slow that he posted it while they were 1-0 up. By the time it got up there, they were 2-1 down. <laughs> but that's still during the match. <laughs> well, That's still during the match, Paul. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's the revelation we were looking for. Um, can I ask you about the way Man United play this weekend? I want to get people's view on this because obviously there was the there was um, McTominay going back into defence after 19 minutes against Newcastle, which was just bizarre. Like he keeps selling that kid down the river. Stop doing it. It was painful to watch him for the, the rest of that first half. Uh, when Matty you mentioned come on and change the game, which he did. He was fantastic when he came on. Alexis Sanchez came on, scored that winning goal. Tell you what, he was getting booed a bit every time he touched the ball before that goal. I mentioned in commentary they're not booed him now. Maybe they are still booing him now, irrespective of that goal. I don't know. Are we going to see Rashford, Lukaku, Martial as the front three? Or will we see Mata? And will we see 
Alexis Sanchez. As, as David rightly says, those guys have gone out internationally. Rashford was great. Martial's had a good time. Lukaku, I think, has got a couple of goals for Belgium as well. You know, they've all gone and played quite well. But for United, it's the replacements that have done a better job. Yeah, I think the um, uh, that one thing you want as a manager is when your replacements come in, they do have an impact, and they've definitely done that. I guess the players do seem a little bit happier when they when they go away. And I guess for for the likes of Rashford, it's not the first time, is it, that he's gone away from Man United and then gone and performed and scored and scored for England. You know what happens to him when he comes back? That's the key issue. I think to me, he's got to be in the team. I know he took a lot of stick in the first game for England, but you know I think he's a terrific player. And why can't Jose get anything out of him? But I guess the problem for. Jose and what he built all his success his foundation at Chelsea was defensive everything started at the back that solidity mm. now he's got his goalkeeper and I know he's coming for a little bit of criticism as well De Gea but you know in terms of that in front of that you go back to when they first won the title I think they conceded a record low number of goals you know it's all built on that foundations at the back and Franny will tell you you know but now they don't really have any foundations and that back four changes obviously all the time week for week to week and they concede so many goals and a lot of those signings have been his and that's the key yeah. problem that's, that, the defence is that problem for me as well it's, it, you can shuffle the pack they've got that attacking talent and it's who plays where and when um, and he's got that option to change things as we've seen but just I mean Young who I, I quite like at times like the two goals that Kennedy and and then the second goal when it went in, you know, like he's defending. You might be and the only man in England to have ever said I like Ashley Young. No, that was I, weird, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I love Ashley. Young. Oh, do you? That's yeah, two, that's two, two very strange the people room. in this room. In the what same a legend! Room. The only two in the nation. But you know, it's it's just there's not that real confidence. Like you say, got De Gea in goal, that box is ticked. But in front of you, in, as a back four or three, however mm. he wants to set up and play, there's there's just not that real dominance where mm. you see a leader. Uh, in the side and that that would from if I was a, a United fan would be the real concern Listen can we move on to Chelsea uh, because they have been a bit of a surprise package I don't think any of us thought they would start as well as they have uh, Franny of course their last game was against Southampton uh, and there were moments that the Saints had of course they missed a whole bunch of chances as per Danny Ings missing them two yards but, yeah. but Chelsea very impressive Eden Hazard very impressive what did you make of them in that game? They, they started the game very well. I think Southampton's formation helped Chelsea a little bit. Uh, kind of a 3-4-1-2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just, you know... And, and I think Mark Hughes said himself, didn't he, that Southampton showed too much respect to Chelsea. And one thing you can't do, especially as the home side, playing a, a top team like Chelsea and the confidence they're in, you need to set about them a little bit and try and dominate the early stages of the game because they are going to have possessions of... Uh, spells in the game of keeping the ball they've mm. got the top talent and the quality none more so than Hazard at the moment um, and you've got to deny them that space and time on the football they didn't do that they started the game he shuffled the pack Mark Hughes rearranged it went to a back four and that helped him a little bit but it's just these these small margins these fine points those key moments in any game of football as you said Tom Danny Ings had a volley that put over the bar from five six yards um, you know that that can happen to the best but those are the moments that you need to take a lead in a game against a side like Chelsea because when they get one in front and they certainly get two in front it's game over and Southampton struggled for a large part of it and Barkley was great 
Um, you know, Honestly, I was going to ask you about Ross Barkley because he played for England and was very impressive. I didn't watch the game, been on all the and I don't know if I mentioned it. Yeah, he was, but he was good, right? Yeah, he was strong. Yeah, he was positive. He set up Hazard for the first goal. Uh, he won the ball off Hoiberg in midfield. Okay, wasn't a great pass from Wesley Hewitt out of defence, but and I think he put it through Hoot's legs actually for for Hazard to run on and score, didn't he? But taking the goal as well as he did, um, yeah, he's, he's he's maturing into a player now that's certainly seeming to to have a bit of a presence in that side. And he's praised so as well for his coaching and he said he's, he's taught me things that I've not been taught before and basically I stopped being coached because mm. I got into the first team as a 17 year old I stopped getting that education that you would get if you stayed with the younger age groups all of a sudden I was in the first team and expected to just kind of know it all and pick it all up and now he's with someone who's very different to the managers that he's had before and it looks like he's flourishing yeah he is I mean obviously he had a brilliant ball for the uh, for Kane for Sterling's second goal didn't he in the week um, I think he's the first Englishman to score an assist in for Chelsea since Frank Lampard in 2013. Hey, now, here we go. Yeah, so Stato here. <laughs> but I guess the key thing is you go, well, I always look at players and think, well, why wasn't he performing like that, you know, under Conte? And that's the key thing. He's obviously getting... getting the team. Well, he couldn't get in the team, but also it may be, whether it's the, the man management style of, of Sari, I don't know, because he, he's obviously got Hazard back on side really quickly, who's someone who's had his uh, heart set on leaving the club. He might still do that, but obviously at the start of the season, he got him on board, he's firing, he brought Jorginho with him from Napoli, which has been a terrific signing. I know City and Pep wanted him. I think he's out past nearly every midfielder. And you look at those two, you know, Jorginho and, and Kante in midfield, and you think, that's how are they going to, how are Man United one how are they going to get past those two to even get at the back four that's the key thing I just think they're really set up this Sarri ball you thought is a myth but actually it's it's not it's real they're out passing the likes of City which you didn't think anyone in Europe would be able to do but Chelsea are I think it's going to be a really difficult but game M- for Mourinho, Mourinho might sort of be happy with that he's not a team not a manager that likes to necessarily dominate possession is he but it's as Franny was saying with the defence if they had a really solid defence and they could be confident of keeping Chelsea out then they'd be confident of hitting them on the break but I mean, you just feel that Chelsea are going to score, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think they had something like 80-90% possession last week in the first quarter of an hour. Now, against the United side, that was okay when he was at Inter, maybe, and, and even the likes of Real, you know, with the great defenders that they had. Even well, it's all right if you win, isn't it? It's all right if you win. If you're not yeah, winning... Yes, but also if you've got the right players to absorb that sort of pressure. I just don't think that they have, as you spoke earlier, they haven't got those sort of players at the back that can absorb that type mm. of pressure. Whether they play over three or whether they play over back four, or the three turns into a five, or they play over back four. To me, they just haven't got the players to absorb the amount of pressure they're going to be under. Uh, one final quick question for David Walker on this. Uh, I was into a great debate uh, we, on the Jim White show this week about Eden Hazard, and I wanted to get a fan's view. We're the fans in this room. These two, like they know what they're talking about. Eden Hazard has basically said repeatedly about Real Madrid, if they come in, I want to go to Real Madrid, they are my dream club, if not them, I'll be at Chelsea. What do you think about the honesty of Eden Hazard from a fan's perspective? Does it annoy you or would you like to be lied to? Would you like him to kiss the bad and say I'll never leave or are you happy to say if they come in, I'm out? Look, I mean, I'm a fan of Watford so I'm, I'm used to clubs coming in and buying our best players but even at Chelsea's level you've got to accept that they're not the biggest fish. There are bigger clubs than Chelsea out there that mm. can that can offer them more riches and more chance of winning the Champions League and the best trophies and global fame. So if Real Madrid come in for you, mm. 
you are going to want to go. And I prefer, you know, I think everyone knows that. But usually they go, that. oh, no, I love nah, it here. I love well, my place in West London. Yeah, we never go, leave. And then they go and two they weeks go. later and it's worse. So I think everyone knows the situation. They know that it's been in the offing for years. And it's it's only the thing that maybe stopped it happening is Hazard's fluctuation in form. If he plays as well as he can play for two or three seasons, he probably will go. And I've also seen today that Conte's been linked with a Real Madrid job because mm. it's not going too well over there for Lopetegui. So I don't know whether that could be that wouldn't good, work out well, well for I don't him. Would that be a good or bad thing? But I think everyone knows it's going to happen. And doesn't I think he only I, have? Sorry, David. I was going to say, doesn't he only have a season left after this one? Mm. So uh, yeah, the, I think the, so. Yeah. If, if he is going to go, it's from Chelsea's perspective. It's the timing and, yeah. and how he can maybe maximise that mm. from a value perspective. Mm. Do you ever lie to any fans, Dave, about you loved them and then you knew you were signing for someone else? Never, no, never. But, (laughs) I mean, I heard Oliver Giroud say, you know, this week that Chelsea was the biggest club he'd played for or the, you know, and and I think, well, that's different because obviously Giroud's coming to that stage of his season. He used to be a small club, didn't he? (coughs) And uh, I wouldn't say that, but, um, you know, but I think for Eden Hazard, he's obviously, he knows this could be his moment. You don't get the opportunity that often to maybe go to Real Madrid and and I don't think you could blame any player. Actually, in a post-Ronaldo world as well. Yeah, Yeah. very true. Um, Right, that is Chelsea Man United. I think everyone thinks it'd probably be a Chelsea win, but you never know with Jose Mourinho. Could be one of those classic nil-nils. First time they face each other, Sarri and Mourinho. Ever? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? I wonder what it'll be like. We'll find out at 12 30 UK time this Saturday when we come back we're going to be talking about Liverpool who go to Huddersfield Town who yes are still in the Premier League forward to Salah Salah with a chance doesn't take it it's skewed off his left foot and gone a long 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 way wide route one from Liverpool Huddersfield still come forward and now the header and it's in and it's Christopher Schindler with Huddersfield's first goal from open play this season Right, let's talk about Huddersfield Town up against Liverpool. It's the 5.30 UK time game on Saturday. Also in this section, I want to talk about Man City against Burnley. 3 o'clock on Saturday, UK time. Huddersfield have failed to score in any of their four Premier League home games this season. Only Everton in 1998 have failed to score in any of their first five at the start of a season. Liverpool have lost just one of their last 16 Premier League games and are unbeaten in their last nine. Seven wins, two draws in that time. One of which was the nil-nil draw against Man City a couple of weeks ago. And I've got to tell you this, uh, Franny Benali, I want to come to you on this because I was doing a show with Rodney Marsh the day before that game and he said to me, that's going to be nil-nil that. And I, I literally eviscerated him for 10 minutes saying there's no way it's going to be nil-nil. There's too much attacking quality. The defences have got problems. And then it was nil-nil. How did that game finish nil-nil? And what have Liverpool been able to take from that game? Uh, I, I think it was a game that quite wisely predicted, if you like, that neither... Okay. neither if he could, hears that, he's going to be... Uh, don't say that. Could, could, uh, could afford to lose. Um, neither wanted to come away without anything. So the, the, the point each is almost quite happy both sides um, from a spectator's point of view in the neutrals it, it was a disappointment because we saw the, the wonderful game last season and the goals that were scored and we were just expecting the attacking talent to, to sort of you know thrive in the game um, I, I, I think the players had that in their minds as well that you know in the, the title race this season they, they didn't want to be on the losing side and, and that reflected in, in, in a nil-nil I think that they just changed slightly tactically City so they just sat in Silver in beside Fernandinho and rather than play normally of one sitter 
as in Fernandinho. They played with two, and he then conceded out wide, and he said, right, my fullbacks are going to be in narrow, and he was really happy to take a point. He was he was making sure they weren't going to be exploited out wide or through the middle, whether it's through the, the little inside spaces, if, if Salah plays in there, you know, Mane, they weren't going to get beaten there. It was fine to force the ball wide. So the back four were way more compact. I don't know if you saw the sort of positioning, the average positions. They were really compact as a four, like close together. And then the two sitting midfielders were, were in front there. So it was a complete shift from Pep, who would normally just be really expansive. Fullbacks high, one sitting midfielder, right, we're going to go for it. But he knew against Liverpool, a point, I think, for him was a really good result. And he completely changed. It shows how they can grind the result out as well. Like you say, when you, you're normally going into a game with a mindset of like, we're going to take this team on, whoever it is. Like you say, David, just having the, that little shift in tactics on the day against the opponent in a one-off game. Uh, where normally it is like right, bomb the fo- the fullbacks forward, mm. you know, possession, attacking, um, and yeah, it was it was an interesting style of setup. And also, you got to remember, I think a few games last season, maybe after ten, eleven games last season, they had the biggest ever lead in the Premier League I think it was around 8 points but he knows this season it, the standards increase so he knows that Liverpool have got better he knows they've all improved Chelsea so some games I think he's thinking you know what we might not be able to dominate this side particularly away from home so I'm going to be a bit more pragmatic and take that point and I think that's what he's done and I think it's progress isn't it because they lost the last few matches to City um, they lost the last few matches to Liverpool yeah. and really they should have won the match well, Mahrez sticks the penalty in that's three points and it's a masterclass. Well, what about the Liverpool side of things? I do want to ask you about City, but with Liverpool, um, Sadio Mane picked up a knock during the international break, may well miss this game, could be all right, but it's Huddersfield, so why would you rush him back? They're not a Premier League team. Um, Mohamed Salah, the form continues to be sketchy. He had some moments, again, in the game against City where he never quite capitalised on them. Uh, they went for that kind of British midfield look of, of Milner and, and Henderson in the last game. Did they change that up? And, and what about defensively as well? Joe Gomez filling in at right back in the last game. It feels like he's becoming a top centre-half. And Franny, you'll be able to tell me this. It must be difficult to be a young player that's become a centre-half of that kind of quality, an England-level quality central defender, and then you have to go again, actually pop back out right back for us in the biggest game of the season. That's got to be difficult to handle. Would he replace Lover in that position if the, the proper back four is back to fitness? It's, yeah, it's um, it's a frustration, I think. It probably is a player when um, you, you want to nail down one position uh, and you're asked maybe to play for the team's sake. Um, but again, I'm, I'm sure it's something that to a degree would have happily done. But it, it, again, it, it's going to be any any team that's successful. We've, we've seen, what is it, Wolves are the only team that I think have, have sent out a, a team unchanged to this point in the season, which is quite an achievement in itself. But for sure, anyone that's going to be competing at the top end of the table, winning the title or in the top four, it's going to be a squad thing. There's going to be injuries, as you said, that they've played already. So it's having the quality to replace those players in key positions as well. And even if it's like the English talent, Gomez coming in, uh, lads like this, it's um, it's hard to play second fiddle sometimes, um, but it's also a crucial part of a squad that's going to be successful. Yeah, I just think they've had a really hard run of games. So as well as obviously at the weekend, they've got Napoli. They had Napoli, Chelsea twice. You know, Spurs, PSG. They had a but they had a tough run of games. So I think for for Klopp, he knew that maybe he needed to build a squad. And obviously, they're all going to have to you know play their part. Your, your Shakiris, your even your Matips at some point. But I I hundred percent agree with you, Tom. That I think Joe Gomez should have stuck at centre half, and I think he's a better centre half than Dejan Lovren. I know Lovren will disagree. He'll think he's the best centre half in the world. You know, and then Alexander. <laughs> 
that Alexander Arnold should be at right back. And to mm. me, that is their best back four. But I think they are suffering with look, Klopp hates the Nations League. He said that, hasn't he? He can't believe that, you know, it even exists. But I feel that despite that he's got a big enough squad to cope and they should be able to cope I know they've got long term Oxley chamberlain obviously Lalana's out as well but they've got Sturridge to come in which they didn't really have last year so I think they're blessed in some ways that although you know Salah and was scoring for fun he's only one goal down than what he was last year they've got Sturridge who could come in as well and I think they're, they're, uh, yes he's not scoring goals Salah but I think with Sturridge they've got that alternative option You've both played for teams who were regularly let's say in the lower reaches of the, of the Premier League will have come up against Man United when they were at their peak and, and other big teams how do you go into a game if you're Huddersfield against Liverpool when you've got such a poor record at the moment you're struggling for confidence what can you do to try and convince yourselves that you've got a chance in this game it's really hard it is really tough David yeah you know you, you, you look just looking at the table is, is almost like a, a psychological negative scenario so mm. there was a degree of me that would almost like not want to pick a paper up or look online or see anything on the television, um, knowing the position you're in. Uh, but it's just trying to stick together collectively, just trying to, almost like we spoke about it, about City doing it, not going out to lose a game of football. You, it, it's so hard now, especially, you know, possession is not the be-all and end-all, as we know. But when you're coming up against a side like Liverpool, Huddersfield had just got to go. There's an element of sometimes, and Southampton was saying it even recently, damage limitation. You know, it's like... Just keep the goals down. Save the goal difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which but could be a big factor. They've mm. only scored four in eight games. Oh. So once they concede, the game is over and the players know that. So, you know, that's the pressure they're under. The, their top scorer, they've only got one. You know, no one's got more than one goal. They've oh. only scored four as a team. They're up against Liverpool. How are they even going to score a goal? And when, even if, you know, they keep it at nil, once they concede one, they're never getting back in the is game. It, is it a game they almost just write off? Yeah, 100%. I think, I think they have to because, they, they, honestly, I've watched every Huddersfield game this season, done the commentary of a couple, and watching them trying to attack, it's like watching a Marx Brothers film. They've got no idea what they're doing. Like One arm goes up, the pie drops down to the ground, people are getting hit by planks, You know, they're all swinging their legs at it. It's, it's chaotic. It's like watching children in a ball pool at a party. Do you know what I mean? And there's limbs everywhere and no one knows what's going on. It's it's nonsense. I mean, look, last they, season... They, they, was... Lower Poitras up front. I'm not having it. And they knew the issue was Poitras and Mounier up front. And what they do, they got rid of two wingers and brought in worse wingers. It, it, that's all they did. Laurent Departure is about three stone overweight. He looks like John Parkin. Like, what's he doing in the Premier League? There's a reference for the Ghanaian listeners. Look him up. It'd be good fun. He's got a book out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, uh, I think they, they achieved a miracle staying up last season. And, uh, and I think, unfortunately, that you know they're not going to do the same this season. Yeah. Um, what about the other game in, the, in this section I wanted to talk about, which is Man City up against Burnley? We mentioned Man City from the, the Liverpool game perspective. And, and we all saw, you know, David Walker mentioned about the, the Mares penalty miss. Would that have had any repercussions in the squad? Because we saw Gabriel Jesus, I want to take it. Mares said, no, no, I'm doing it. And then he's missed it. Do we see Mares this weekend? What's the Man City mentality for this game? I think that's a good... I've done that before, to be honest, as a younger player and, and taken the, the the ball off a, a senior player and said, no, I'm taking it. And then I did score. Wow. But, um, of course I have, you did, mate. Well, I have <laughs> missed. I have missed. And... Um, as well, but not in that same scenario. But I think Mahrez is, for whatever reason, he's pulled rank on him. I think Pep stuck up for him. Mm. I don't really think that that was the case. I think that Pep's just, just trying to be a good yeah, manager yeah. there. But but yeah, I think everyone can see through that. But I would have just letting the goal scorer take it, you know, Jesus, and, and just get on with it. 
Mm. Uh, but they pay the price and they are level at the top with both Liverpool and Chelsea on 20 points right now. Uh, Burnley, the visitors this weekend to the Etihad. Look, Man City probably win this game. They probably win it by a couple. That's fair enough. But Burnley, in the last couple of weeks, the start of the season was very concerning. They had that Europa League run. Um, they got the draw against Huddersfield last time out. Fair enough. You should be beating Huddersfield Town. I've made my views pretty clear on that. However, um, the unit seems to be back together again for Burnley. Maybe it is the lack of Europa League football, the extra time off, the, the small squad. That's what they needed. Yes. We've, sorry, go on. Um, no, we've seen it before, haven't we? It's um, The Europa League is not always a benefit um, and sides have struggled. And I think that that's a fair comment, Tom, that you know the Europa League for Burnley this season has not helped them at all um, and they've struggled for results and uh, it, it's getting back to it just finding that little little familiarity of the Premier League now and you're right yes they you know playing at home to Huddersfield they should be winning that that fixture um, so this is uh, again an, an, an alternate altogether different uh, prospect obviously uh, especially when you're um, away from home so again I'd almost like go back to a degree of like a, a point would be an incredible achievement for him and an element of damage limitation in this kind of fixture Joe Hart going back to his former club I think you know that's quite a, a, a big one for him yeah. um, and what if what if they'd have sold Raheem Sterling as they wanted to last season and taken Alexis Sanchez I, mm. mean, I think they, they I think they've ended up with a better deal there maybe dodged the bullet uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Burnley can do on the break this weekend. Big fan of Goodmanson. Lennon as well looks like he's in, in really good form as well. They could get at Man City, but no one really gets at Man City. That, that's the issue, I suppose. Uh, and briefly, you mentioned Jurgen Klopp doesn't like the Nations League. Is it because Germany are getting relegated? Let's not do it, guys. Come on. I can see the smiles. We're all enjoying it, aren't we? Imagine they got relegated. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Come on. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Move on. Move on. All right. Loads more Premier League to get to. Stay with us. 
Right, let's talk about West Ham United up against Tottenham this weekend. Three o'clock UK time. This one gets underway. The big derby for West Ham and irrelevance for Tottenham fans, so they say. Uh, West Ham have won 14 Premier League games against Tottenham, their best record against anybody in the competition. Spurs looking to win consecutive away Premier League games against the Hammers for the first time since 2009, the first time at London Stadium. Uh, let's talk about West Ham first. Um, David has come to you, former West Ham striker, of course. Um, the rejuvenation we'd seen at West Ham for a couple of games came to a grinding halt against Brighton last time out. Feels like a long time ago. It was the Friday night football of the last weekend. They dominated the ball but but couldn't score a goal and I thought they had the front three to score the goals. What went wrong? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, obviously uh, anyone who's seen Brighton will know how they played a very dogged, hard to break down um, and that's their mantra, the 4-2-3-1, two sitting in front. Look, they had enough chances and out of it, had what, five shots. You know, that's normally a league high you'd get in a game. Five shots you're going well they just obviously couldn't break through I think it might be a slump slight bump in the road obviously they had a disastrous start we know that they've recovered um, do they have enough options that's the only thing I'll be thinking about now they've had a lot of injuries you know is Masuaku you know the right choice at left back for example against Tottenham would they be better bringing in a little bit more defensive maybe Cresswell I don't know I think they're going to have to I think try and take a point here I don't think they can they can go for the win in my opinion I think they're up against a Tottenham side who look they'll be full of form especially the England contingent um, they'll be really up for this it'll be a cracking atmosphere I mean yeah. it'll be a great game be a great one to watch and to see um, but I think they, they might have to just you know try and get back on you know a little bit of an even playing field and just try and nick a point here West Ham for me guys I, I, Tommy you didn't know, know too well being a supporter but uh, for West Ham, it, it all seems to centre around Anatovic mm. for me. Like the, the the form he's in, the confidence he's in. He's, he's almost like that. And a, and a few teams have it. And I, and I guess I could liken it to my experience of playing in a Southampton side at one time that you have one talisman almost in the side and ours was Matt Letizio back then. But Anatovic seems to be that kind of player for West Ham now. And it's it's maybe getting that consistency. It's almost like when he's on it, you know that mm. it drags the rest of the team mm. along to a certain degree. Um, so yeah, he's and he had a good opportunity to have scored, didn't he? And, and equalised, I think, last week against Brighton, where he shot over right near the end of the. Um, yeah, the, the close game. range, six yards out, yeah, should yeah. have gone in. But it's five goals in ten for someone who wasn't a striker eighteen months ago. But it's that knee thing, isn't it? They always seem to have a player West Ham that's carrying a long term injury, and he's coming off early in games with a knee problem. Didn't play the second Austrian friendly. Is that a bit of a knee problem? How tough is that when you know that your teammate, your best player, your Matt Letizier, is kind of like struggling with something? Does that affect the other players? No, I think uh, you, you expect... That, look, never are you 100% fit. Ever. No one ever is. So there's always something wrong. You, you saw Van Dijk, apparently he's been playing with broken ribs. I mean, the list goes on. You know, no one is ever at 100%. But I think for West Ham, and if you look at Tottenham, you know, how good would Tottenham be if they had on out of it? For example, mm. if he was in their team, like a like a Berbatov or a, or a, or a Sheringham type figure, you know, not only is he really good linking play, but he can also score goals. Now, obviously, I know you don't like David Moyes, but he's got to take a little bit of credit for that one because that was an inspired decision. I think the midfield bat will be interesting in this one mm. you've got Eric Dyer who had one of the best games he's had in months and months uh, against Spain for England 
You've got Harry Winks, will we see him? And of course, the attention has been on Declan Rice as well for West Ham, who has been very impressive uh, this season when he's been in midfield with Mark Noble helping him alongside him. And I think, you know, the game could be won and lost in the middle of the park there. Yeah, I mean, they need players to step up. Obviously, if Ericsson's out, you know, Deli Alley's out, they're going to need players to step up. I thought Winks was uh, was wonderful in the midweek. What a ball he put through to Kane for, for Sterling's second goal. And he looked really, he's combative, he's quite aggressive, he puts his foot in, you know, but he's also really good on the ball. He's another one that's, I guess, come through the academy and he's a Tottenham boy so as you say they've got plenty of talent on show Declan Rice has been magnificent in that holding midfield role um, so yeah it should be good good, good battle in midfield A uh, quick word on Mark Noble as well I think he's been fantastic the last few weeks we've said on this programme Danny Gabbard said to us a few have said to us that the kind of legs aren't, aren't what they used to be but in that three man midfield uh, he's been absolutely fantastic he was the best player on the pitch against Man United you can't argue with that can well, you, you who, uh, we go back to I remember getting stats uh, once we played Man United and it was the running stats um, Paul Scholes d- didn't do half the running of any of our players on our team. Didn't do half of it. He ba- it was like he was just went for a, a little jog around the park, but he dominated the game. Mm. So, you know, you, the legs thing is, is a myth as long as you've got players around you that can, can do the work. Mm. Obviously, his brain is so sharp. I uh, played with Mark, but he's, he's a magnificent football player. You know, and and one thing is, you're here to play football. As long as you've got the right players around him, you'll always be fine. Mm. I mean, look, Franny will tell you about about players he's played with. Well, I thought you were going to say about not running around much. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> but no, it's, you're it's, lucky it's, you never had running stats, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, very much so. You're lucky but, you ran a lot. You were sweating a lot. <laughs> I was doing a lot of mats running, believe me. Um, no, but it's it's not just on the pitch, guys. Either is it? It's it's mm. sometimes someone that's so ingrained in a football club. It's that presence off the pitch, in the dressing room, on the training ground. And Mark Noble certainly brings that. Um, and, and, and that's sometimes what you can't put a price and a figure on. And a player like Declan Rice will be benefiting from that experience, won't he? You know, For playing sure. alongside him. Most definitely. As, as young players, everyone goes through that journey, don't they? And having that senior player within the, the, the team or within the squad, especially if they are that kind of character. Not every pro is, senior pro is. You know, they're almost like very much looking out for their own game and their own style. But there's an awful lot of them as well that do put their arm around and sort of bring along the younger generation as well. What about Tottenham in this game? They were very laboured against Cardiff a couple of weeks ago. Um Cardiff went down to 10 men in, in the second half. I'm sure we all saw the great Neil Warnock clip uh, of uh, of that sending off. Uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, but Spurs, they almost went for a bit of a 4-4-2 in the game, the way they play, which is a bit rare. They've tried a lot of formations this season at times. Um, they've got lots of injuries as well. Vertonghen is out. Dembele uh, is likely to be missing. Danny Rose, Victor Wanyama, Deli Alli's a doubt. Christian Eriksen is a doubt. Uh, there's a lot of players that aren't going to be there right now, which is kind of leading to an unexpected shuffling of the pack for Pochettino. And, and Cardiff showed, didn't they, David, that they don't like it up on this Tottenham team. And if West Ham can get physical with them and they've already got injuries, there's a there's a kind of chance there for the home team. Absolutely. And this is a run of games. They've got seven in, in something three weeks, I think they've got. you know, and, and it goes back to them, what happened in the summer. Now, Daniel Levy's saying, oh, the stadium's got no effect on the transfer policy and Mauricio was happy with what he had. Are you kidding me? You know, obviously he was just towing the party line there, you know, being the top manager that he is. He wasn't moaning like Mourinho. But still, obviously he doesn't have enough. Doesn't have enough players. Doesn't have enough strength in depth. You're never going to be able to compete on all these fronts with the squad that they had. Um, you know, you're going to miss the likes of Ericsson. Every team would. Ali, for example. And, and that's where you need those players. Look, Son was on, off with the Asian Games, but he's been back, but he hasn't looked quite the same. Mauro, obviously, he's got that pace in behind, but sometimes it looked like Kane might be actually more comfortable just on his own. You know, but it worked well, the diamond against United, but they were poor at the time when they smashed Man U. Um, but since then, they haven't quite been firing. Look, Kane says he's all right, and I think he is okay, but I just think he needs those 
those those players around him in that four-two-three-one that he looked really happy in last season. We saw that just in the game, didn't we? That that Cardiff game, sort of. And, and David, you probably would be able to explain it best to be in that, that position. He, he seemed to be dropping in quite deep on quite a few occasions, didn't he? Sort of. You'd expect him to be that that real figurehead of the attack. Yet there was a lot of occasions where he's dropping quite deep into midfield, picking mm. the ball up. Did it for England as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if he's got Mauro making that, he's the one obviously with a pace making that running behind, and he's he's the one that's you know be coming to feet a little bit more. And I think he'd rather be in the box. You get him in the box. Obviously, he's finishing his second to none, absolutely exemplary. Um, I know he had his ankle injury, you know, and I'm sure he's recovered from that. But he, he isn't, despite what he says. I don't think he is quite fresh. There's that freshness. And Mauricio does work his players really hard. And I mean, you know, I left Southampton when he came in, and I remember some of the players saying, you know. I couldn't believe the workload he puts on you in training mm. even before training they're in the gym and like it is a relentless schedule he puts on the players maybe he's just he does look at, I think he does look a little bit not not maybe fatigue but just lacking that freshness mm. uh, David you and I work with a lot of Arsenal fans at the TalkSport offices yeah. and uh, all season on this programme we have said they've won games but haven't played very well they won the Fulham game last time out, and in the second half especially, they played very, very well. The smugness omata is getting very high right now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. They've got their Arsenal back, haven't they? Oh, no, don't! <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, they came up against a Fulham team who are struggling, I think, to, to find their identity after being promoted because of all the new players coming in, and they're, they're in a bit of a bit of problems at the moment, but... They were really good. You can't you can't take anything away from from Arsenal and how mm. how they've started this season and the confidence has come flowing back and I think there's there's even a recognition from within the club and the fans and the players that they are nowhere near where they want to be at the moment but they're still ahead of where they have been in previous seasons which is a big positive for them and they're coming up against Leicester this weekend and I was at Leicester last time out and they lost to Everton and you know let's. Leicester are a funny team. You know, you just you, they don't really know what you're going to get. Good week, bad week. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'd be slightly concerned if I was if I was Leicester this week. I think they've been really impressive. Um, I was always wondering how they obviously had a difficult start in the Arsenal under Emery, and you know he's always played that certain way, one striker, and it looked like you know there was never going to be room for two. But actually, he's adapted and he has brought the two at the weekend. Obviously, tra- changed the whole front three. His subs came on and made a difference. Obviously, Ramsey as well. But it looks like he's not really one to you know um, I guess accommodate players he seems like he's he's got that little bit of ruthless streak in him and whether you know Ramsey's the first casualty of that I don't know their new their new policy of how they want to treat players or how he wants to manage we'll have to wait and see it it seems that way but yeah he can still get those players to perform so they look really really good at the minute I think Toyera in midfield has really done a good job good signing to him in the World Cup him and, and uh, Xhaka those two holding midfielders just provide that little bit of stability and I think with the players they got going forward even Iwobi's in really good form isn't he Iwobi him and Danny Welbeck were great last yeah, week exactly the amount of stick we've given Danny Welbeck on this show and by we I mean me and yet he was fantastic last week I'm going to take it all back and he looks quite bulky now as well so I won't say anything bad about (laughs) Danny Welbeck again because he could probably you know kill me with his hands like the Incredible Hulk yeah I mean um, uh, that that front five I guess and and then with Ozil you know as well thrown into that you know they've got some real special players going forward but it looks like now they, they just seem I dare say a little bit better coached than, than under Arsene Wenger. That's the thing I think, guys. He isn't said it. it? it must, he said it. <laughs> it. It must be exciting for any Arsenal fan seeing, a little bit like at Chelsea with Sarri, they've, they've seen a manager come in, 
pretty late, if you like, given close season, pre-season, yet they're having the impact and the immediate sort of response from the squad that they're working with in such a short space of time. So, you know, for both sides, I think that can only be a good thing sort of moving forward for mm. for, for certainly Arsenal and, and someone like a Chelsea. I mean, those two, ha- having that extra holding midfield player is a definite shift from under Wenger where they've been far more expansive. So um, I think it's, it's been a gear change for them, but they've looked really, really good. And uh, I wonder what they'll do in January because, you know, if they're on the coattails, they've got the new transfer policy... Maslinat in place you know he's a new transfer guru uh, I've got real high hopes that they're going to have a really good season look out for somewhere in the Bundesliga I suppose which is their policy and it's worked yeah. out quite well for them so well, far well, looking at, uh, just looking at Leicester ahead of this game um, Wes Morgan will be missing because he got sent off last yeah. time against Everton and I think actually that might be a blessing in disguise because it's, it's the second red card of the season that, that he's had he got destroyed by Richarlison mm. um, in that game and the second booking came because he was terrified of Richarlison getting in behind so he tried to nip in front of him and he takes him down when he'd already been booked he'd already been warned the first booking was because he failed to meet the ball and Richarlison got in behind and he had to take him down otherwise he was going to be cleaned through and I, I think Wes Morgan going up against Lacazette Aubameyang Awobi all the players with pace could have been you know, very difficult for, for him to cope with and I think you know, maybe time is starting to catch up with with Wes a little bit but also I noticed some frustration from the from the Leicester supporters that they just don't always quite play to their strengths and do the things that they were doing when they won the league and that was namely getting the ball forward quickly to Vardy making use of his pace every time he did that he got in on goal and he missed a few but is Perel's mission to make them a football playing maybe, team maybe, thing, maybe right? it is but it, it, you know it seems to me that they've still, still got Jamie Vardy they still got that Jamie Vardy and they function best when they play to his strengths and they don't always do that Oh, well, look, they haven't replaced Mares, that's for sure. Um, they've got much kinder games coming up in November, Cardiff, Burnley, Brighton. I'm sure they'll be looking at those thinking, you know, I've got a feeling if you're a betting man, you'll be lumping on this one, Arsenal, for a comfortable, comfortable yeah. victory. Mm. Franny, what about Claude Puel and the job he's done at Leicester? Because, you know, they've been poor against Everton, as David says, and, and they've had some, some patchy moments this season, but also played some, some good stuff as well and scored some good goals. And, and, and he is trying to change that team. and It's been gradual. You can't just ship people like Wes Morgan out. You've got to give him that that time to, to kind of work it out for himself I suppose and yeah. uh, it, it to become obvious uh, that they can't play there anymore and he's replaced a lot of that team I think it's only Schmeichel Vardy and Morgan maybe the only three survivors now of the Premier League winning team that played last week and there might be a couple of others that the summer can tell him but I think it's that three so it's a tough time and, and you know uh, unlike at Southampton he's, he had that bad time Claude Puel and they said to him no you are still the right man for the job let's, let's see our way through it and where is he in that project? He's, uh, he's it's work in progress still Tom yeah it's um, it, it's very much a style of football which would as we've touched on goes against how Leicester would play and the personnel they have like Avardi um, you know certainly is, is it's that possession style you know slow build up um, two defensive midfielders it, the wing it, backs kind of stay back it, a bit exactly but what I think is going to be key for Leicester and possibly sort of Claude Spruel time at the club as a manager um, in a positive sense is a James Madison um, you know just I- incredible uh, what a signing I mean I know there's a lot of interest and I think even Southampton were interested at one point uh, in the summer but he's not going really... to go that far down the table does he that's <laughs> <laughs> careful careful I'm sat very close to you Tom um, but he's he's been the real shining light for them and from an attacking sense he needs I think Claude Perel needs that kind of player like a Madison in a team that can be creative can score goals um, and just go away from what he's been renowned for in a managerial sense of a possession based style of football 
I think he's under massive pressure because uh, last season I think was a disaster. Their form tailed off. Burnley beat them to Europa League, and you know if Burnley are beating them and they're only just Premier League title winners a couple of seasons earlier, you know I think he's, he's under massive. Look, they got they got beaten comfortably at this first game of the season. They've recovered since then, but to me. The threat of the sack just seems to always be hanging over yeah. Puel, and you just feel it's 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 just waiting, it's coming, yeah, and that's what I feel. Speaking of the threat of the sack, should we talk about Southampton next? Let's do it, shall we? Hazard's continued his run forward and slips in Morata. McCarthy's off his line, but Morata flicks it past him and in for three. That will do him the world of good, and Alvaro Morata sets the seal on the victory. Another shocking home performance from Southampton. Only one home win in eleven months for them. Bournemouth against Southampton, a sort of derby on the south coast, though not really. Uh, a three o'clock kickoff this Saturday. Bournemouth have won 22 points in their last 30 available in the Premier League. Sixth as it stands in the Premier League table. Southampton have lost their last three Premier League games by an aggregate score of 8-0. They last lost four in a row without scoring the top flight back in December 1993. Franny Benali, Southampton legend with us on the show this week. Mark Hughes says, a former teammate of yours, that he has seen improvements in Southampton. Has he been watching another team or what's, what's he noticed? No, I think that, that there's some positive signs there uh, that hasn't reflected in particularly results Tom I would say um, but what you know the, the frustration for me is that I, I, I've seen you know the game against Leicester the game against Brighton you know the, the home side being in charge being goals in front and then letting you know a, a game slip away and I think it's that game management that we're not seeing enough of or and even I hate to say it in some ways an, an element of lack of leadership from some of the players as well um, the Brighton game especially I was at that St Mary's watching that game and uh, you know, yes, Brighton came out and threw a little bit of caution to the wind second half, but even when the second goal went in from Danny Ings' penalty, y- you just felt that Brighton were going to get something from the game. You know, they were pressing. Southampton looked really edgy and nervous. Um, and and believe me, I would never, ever feel I'd find myself saying this, but Southampton going to Bournemouth, Southampton are definitely playing second fiddle. Uh, to a team like Bournemouth at this moment in the season and, and it is going to be a very very tough game for Saints um, the wonderful victory the 4-0 win against Watford they had in the last Premier League game will the Bournemouth players would, and supporters will just be buzzing and, relegate, uh, and relishing this game not just the fact that it's Southampton but because the confidence and the form that they're in at the moment and that they've got pace in the side that's what's scary for any team and, and as a defender if you're up against a team or strikers that have got pace that scares the life out of you and, and Bournemouth have that and um, yeah I wouldn't really like to call this one I mean that Southampton team I just wanted to ask you a follow up question on the way they're going to play because last time out they went three at the back Yoshida came back in I'm not a fan of Wesley Hood I've never seen a, a man that big have no muscle whatsoever like the man needs to spend a bit of time in the gym because he gets pushed off the ball by I mean, Ryan Fraser could push him off the ball. There's nothing about him. It's ridiculous. Um, and, and they've got Bednarek coming in. And again, he's very much like Wesley Hoot. So the f- defence seems like an issue. And up front, they seem to have Ings and and, um, and Austin and Gabbiadini. And they've got all these guys that are basically the same guy. You finish ya. But they've got no one to get him the ball. The midfield seems all right, but the both ends of the pit seem like a bit of a problem. Now, is that... Is that correct, first of all? And then also, what, what does that mean for the long-term strategy, the transfers that have been brought in? Because most of those guys have been brought in the last 18 months or so. 
Yeah, I think, um, well, as we know, last season, goals was a goal, uh, an issue for Southampton. Um, and, and I think how close they came to, to possibly going down was a real shake-up for the club. Danny Ings coming in on the eve of the transfer window was a, a, a huge boost. Um, and OK, he missed a chance or two against Chelsea, but um, it, he needs to be playing, he needs to be fit. He's looked good, he, he will he? score he's goals. Lively. Oh, he's looked sharp. Yeah. You know, like from the first time he came on... Uh, and, and made his debut you could see his movement and his intelligence he, he'll score goals he just needs the service and the delivery I think like I've been um, pleased largely on the whole from a, like a Nathan Redmond I think that positivity we're seeing in his play now but you know yes strikers need to score goals David would tell you that more than anyone but I think there's an element of some of the midfielders and the creative players like a Redmond and these sort of guys um, Elinusi need to contribute with the goal scoring as well Yes, the, there's those two issues, I would agree. It's the goal scoring a little bit, which I don't think is so much quite the concern. For me, the biggest concern at the moment is at the back, and, and none more so than the centre-halves. Mm. I think they'll be looking forward to getting away from, from St Mary's, I think. you know, I think they're in really poor form. Um, it looks like McCarthy might be injured, so maybe Angus Gunn will be having his debut. And, and you look across at Bournemouth, and, and they kind of do things a little a little bit differently. I know they splashed the cash on Lerma, 20-odd million, but actually they've, they've sort of had this tried and tested model of staying with the manager you know, retaining him despite, I know last year they had a run of really poor form, but his position was never in doubt. Recruiting from players, maybe English players or the championship and, and believing in them, getting something out of them. And I love how they're going about it, whether it's Brooks, for example, or young Ryan Fraser, you know, they're taking a gamble because they they know they can't compete with probably, you know, the allure of a Southampton. Look, they only get 10,000. I mean, it's incredible that the job he's done there mm. and they're still able to perform. They're still playing a 4-4-2, a bit traditional way you know King Wilson are still scoring goals and I, I think Eddie Howe's done a magnificent job I, I suppose the question on Southampton that I want to ask is I'll ask this to Franny uh, do your best to, to answer it <laughs> obviously, obviously as you can do you think this Southampton squad would be better off with someone else someone maybe better coach than Mark Hughes or whoever's in charge is, is it the other problems like you said, it's the recruitment, the lack of youth players that have stopped coming through. They've sold all their best players over the last few years to bigger clubs, mostly Liverpool. Is it is it a, is it a, is it a managerial problem or is, is it a wider problem? I'd say there's an element, David, of the, um, the 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 selling process is is you know we've spoke about some time. At what point does that come back to bite you? Mm. Um, coupled with uh, the development of the players uh, in the system already. Um, you know, we're seeing even players like James Ward-Prowse not really playing now. Matty Target not really playing. Sam Gallagher. Um, you know, there's there's a number of players that have sort of broke into the side and then come back out of it and aren't really able to establish themselves there on a regular basis. So that that sort of development of the, their own, which has been a, a strength for, for decades, I would say, of the club, um, and that selling policy is, is, is probably an element of a bit of the issue at the moment I wouldn't lump it all at Mark Hughes's front door at all um, but for him personally it certainly seems a little bit as Tom touched on it's you know what is going to be the formation and I feel a little bit it's like playing one formation at home and a different one away from home um, would suit Southampton better at the moment either going four or three at the back um, and we've seen him shuffle that even in games at home but I think he needs to stick with it yes have the ability like we saw right at the top of the, the programme when we're talking about a Mourinho changing something in a game early even if they see something happening you've got to be able to do that as a manager but 
somehow sort of stick as the home side, certainly, to what you want to play, how you want to play, and then go and boss the opposition. I think when they were successful in the, in the, uh, in the previous Premier League season, it was always built at the back, you know, and the goalkeeper, Fraser Forster, for example, was, was magnificent, keeping a record number of clean sheets for them. And it was built on that defensive solidity, but that's just completely gone now. As so you say. Liverpool. It's Liverpool? It's all at Liverpool. And, and Maya Ishida, as you mentioned, to me, is he's nowhere near good enough. I've mm. been watching him at Southampton for a couple of seasons now. I just don't think they've they've ever solved. Obviously, they've never replaced Van Dijk. We know that, um, but still, I think I think they've got it all to do this season. I really do. Uh, got to move on. Let's talk about Wolves against Watford. Uh, that first half that Watford had against Bournemouth last week, David Connolly, got to be one of the worst forty-five minutes that a team could have had. It was catastrophic. There was Ooh. red cards, mistakes, goals. It was it was a dreadful, dreadful performance. What went wrong with Watford last time out? And was it just a case of that team has kind of run its course a bit and they need a little bit of a, a, a break as the international break done Watford a favour? And, and how do they recover against a Wolves team who are outplaying everyone at the moment? Yeah, they're in formidable form. I, I wouldn't like to call this one. Um, they looked a bit devoid of ideas. Like they've got all the players. And David Walker, he's a massive Watford fan too. I tell you, they've got the ball playing players to play. And obviously they support Grazio because they just handed him a new contract. But they, they're has just dropped off a cliff really mm. and the front two aren't scoring you know um, they look a bit leggy uh, they're lacking a little bit of confidence um, and uh, in the form they're in up against a Wolf side who look really settled in how they're playing I think it's going to be a really difficult game for it's them a tough, it's a tough game for Watford it's not the game you'd want to not the team you want to be playing off the back of mm. a 4-0 humbling at home to Bournemouth but I, I think from what I, from, I wasn't at the game, but I, I was getting elbowed by the reporter at Leicester every <laughs> every five minutes in the first half, saying they've got another one. Bournemouth have got another one. Um, did you, you sack him straight afterwards? <laughs> You're gone, I, mate. I think it was just I think it was just one of those days to to a certain extent where they lost uh, a player early to a red card, uh, gave away a penalty. He was gone. It was it was two nil down quite early, and then that's when we saw. Uh, Gracia maybe make his first mistake of the season what he did instead of making a substitution bringing on a centre half and sacrificing a forward player and trying to keep it solid get to half time at 2-0 stay in the game and see what happens he put Kapu at centre half and he sort of tried to keep it all the same and before you knew it, we were four 0 down, and the game the game was gone. Then he made the substitution, and it was too late. And and it, it was just a perfect storm. Gracia made a few bad decisions. Cabasale had a mare got sent off early. We weren't at the races like we have been in in other matches. Um, and coming up against a Bournemouth team, as we discussed earlier, are, are in fine form, and they will punish you. Mm. They've got pace, and and perhaps we didn't really have the. The, the weapons to deal with them on that particular occasion but against Wolves it's a really tricky game I've seen Wolves a few times this season as you mentioned they've played the same team in every game they're really confident they're going to dominate possession um, and so I think Watford's best line of attack will be to try and sort of rough them up and get amongst them and that's how they had success in the early part of the season but I, it's a tall order I mean that's vaguely what Crystal Palace tried to do last time out Selhurst Park there MacArthur and Milovojevic trying to get in amongst Matinho and Neves and, and try and kick them up in the air a little bit get them a bit worried and you know you look at these guys you look at Neves and Matinho and they are not worried you can kick me on the ankle you can trip me it's fine but I've got the football it's Watching those two play football has been fantastic this season. But then there's other players. You think about Doherty, who, who scored in the game, getting forward and, and, and mm. dominating games down that right-hand side. Like He pushed Schlupp and Van Aarhol all the way back all game long. I mean, how impressed have you been, Franny, with, with Wolves? I mean, and also, we've, we've got to discuss how far we think they could go this season because Burnley last year got in the Europa League playing whatever football they were playing, 4-4-2. This is 
a, a much more advanced version of that, and they're putting Premier League regulars like Crystal Palace to the sword in games. Yeah, no, it's a, it was a wonderful result, wasn't it? And and a, a goal source in Doherty that you wouldn't necessarily expect, or or, or what we've seen so far. Um, yes, they've spent money. Um, I like, you know, the manager. He just comes across in a. Uh, a real sensible and knowledgeable way in a confident way but very humbling at the same time in his interviews doesn't he and uh, I, I bet he's a, he's obviously a huge part of, of, of their success having a be able to put outside an unchanged team naturally has its benefits um, you know they're they're from a physical perspective, they, they look in shape as well and fit because I think eight of the nine goals they've scored have all come in second the second half of games this season. So, you know, even if you're going in on level terms with, with the Wolves side, you know you're going to be up against it in the second 45 minutes against them. So, yeah, this is going to be a, a, a real tough uh, tough challenge for Watford on the back of that that heavy defeat against Bournemouth. And, and the confidence factor, again, you know, what element do you play in a team and a manager, uh, the confidence side. You know, we spoke about, David just mentioned about the Watford, that we almost expect players, but also managers, to know the answer and do the right thing all the time. It, it doesn't happen. You know, he's, he's tried something last week against Bournemouth, swapping things around. It didn't come off. I'm sure that'll be part of his learning curve as well. Mm. I think Wolves, in contrast to Fulham, they kept the base of their team. Now, whether their signings in the championship, because I saw them in the championship and, and they were magnificent, uh, even when they were ninth, they were playing the best football in the championship. Um, but he's kept the base, you know, the base of that team. Is that because they were expensive signings? You know, but they were maybe with an eye to the future that look they were going to get us up and actually you know they're good enough for the Premier League as opposed oh, yeah. to a Fulham who have had to spend 100 million trying to chase their tail yes they were going to the championship but not quite cutting it at that level I saw them at home against Man City I thought they were magnificent in goal Rui Patricio is magnificent mm. he made one stop from Raheem Sterling which was just incredible and then at the weekend he made a double stay from, from Max Meyer and, and Zaha with a follow up so you know they don't have to worry about really any of their positions they seem to have made some really really expensive but good signings yeah. have obviously used their yeah. agents they're well. easily good enough to finish seventh if not higher it's look it's really you're you're looking at them being able to take points off one of the top six to displace them if if they have a bad season if man united don't quite make it up there or arsenal fall back they might mm. get top six but otherwise if they want it seventh's there for them mm. and, and i hadn't been back to molyneux for, uh, for, for years when i played there and the place looks amazing now it is buzzing you mm. know and it's a great place you know football hotbed and but they've been waiting so long for this you know haven't they they've waited no. years and years and years and it's there and I, I really think that they're going to have a well as we know they're having a great season Look, we've got to move on we've got to move on Everton Crystal Palace is the next game 4 o'clock on Sunday uh, and I think it's interesting this game because Wolves shut down Wilfred Zahar last week uh, and they played Zahar essentially as part of a 4-4-2 and him and Ayu up front it, it didn't quite work out for them so if you shut down Wilfred Zahar would you believe it Crystal Palace can't score a goal and Everton uh, on the other side of things, David, you, you were there last week watching them against Leicester. They've got Richarlison. David Connolly, you called this a couple of weeks ago. Play him up front. You play him up front, he will score goals. He is a centre forward and maybe he's started to show that a little bit, that he is a centre forward. And i got worries about Crystal Palace. i got worries about them. I think Everton, if they shut down Zahar, could win this quite easily. I mean, what, what do you guys think? You've, you've wrapped it up in a nutshell. Am I done? Should we move on? The, the, well, you could do. In all seriousness. Zahar... I don't need you, Frey, to be honest, do I? <laughs> Zahar is the, the one player, if you can stop playing... In my opinion, you've pretty much nullified Palace. Mm. Full stop. But they're pl why are they playing him up front then? If he's so effective on a front three on the left-hand side, what do you think the thinking is for Roy Hudson there? 
I, th- I think you need to give him that freedom to sort of go and drift out a little bit wider. We've seen him cut in and score goals and provide goals. It's um, I think when you, as a striker, again, David would be better placed. When you've got your back to goal quite often, it, it's not always the best position. Yes, you can drop into a little 10 position maybe and pick the ball up on the half turn, but I, th- I think he's more effective, as we know, sort of out wide, where he's at, his, his body position is able to receive the ball and then drive at defenders as opposed to sort of coming towards the ball and receiving the ball at feet with a with a defender snapping around his ankles. Um, and, you know, the whole tackling thing is a debate in itself, but um, he's going to come in for that kind of punishment because or those that sort of treatment because he is the one player that teams know if they can stop they've got a good chance of getting a result against that team I think he's a, he's a he's a 10 in my opinion I think when he plays up top the reason he's playing up top is because they don't score enough goals now if Benteke's not mm. there as their 9 what do they do Sorloth ha- hasn't really had an opportunity and we haven't we don't, Jordan are you Jordan are you so they're not the what solution exactly well that's what Roy's thinking what do I do well I'll play you know Zaha through the middle the, the only thing we're playing Zaha through the middle I feel I feel he needs that license to roam to be that 10 to get on the ball if you want to drift left drift left if you want to go to the right go to the right we've seen he can bend them in from anywhere and obviously without him they'd have nothing but I, I feel they actually need to get some proper wingers out wide some natural width and just, just give them that freedom to go and play as a so team. they've got Townsend who all he ever wants to do is come inside and shoot exactly he? and then yeah. I, I, I've been to a few games at Sellers Park and I look at Benteke when he was there and I was thinking he never knows when that ball is coming in the box say what you want about him but when you're forward you, you're playing with those two out wide you you know it's never coming in because all they want to do is think about getting their shots off. So you're as a lone front man thinking, when am I ever going to get the ball? And that's when I feel sorry for whoever is that number nine. I guess if he plays a hard air, that's one way, you know, that he's down through the middle and we get other people to deliver that ball. Look, they've got good players. Wan-Bissaka is terrific. We've all seen that. It's his breakthrough season. Um, but I, t- I think Everton will have enough here. And going back to them, that Bernard, he was absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. What a player he, he had looks a good like. Game. He had a very good game against Leicester. Uh, Richarlison played really well. We've seen what he can do. He had a, he missed a few games of suspension, but pretty much every time he's been on the pitch, it seems for Everton, he's looked dangerous. Sigurdsson scored an absolutely outstanding goal. Oh, yeah. And looks back to the sort of player that they thought they were going to get when they spent all that money on him a few seasons ago. It didn't really hit the ground running, did he, in an Everton shirt? But in that in that number 10 position, given licence to do what he can do, there's no one better, really. May have survived that tricky patch. Yeri Mina might eventually play a game. Andre Gomez might eventually play a game. Bernard, you mentioned, is coming after, what, five, six games of the season. Look very good. It might be all right for Everton. It may well be all right. I fancy him this weekend. Got to move on to Newcastle, a team... No one should fancy. Uh, just two points to make games. Newcastle made their worst ever start to a top flight season. Uh, if you adjust that to three points for a win, they've only failed to win any of their first nine top flight games once before back in 1898. So it's not been a great season for Newcastle so far. Let's put it that way. Up against the Brighton side who beat West Ham last time out. It's weird because they only normally beat Man United. So that's a bit odd. Uh, but for Newcastle, against Man United last time out, they scored those goals. And then a bit like Southampton against Brighton and lots of other teams as well, they just didn't quite know what to do. And fair enough, it's Man U at Old Trafford. It's a different sort of game. But they should have been six or seven up. They were just incredible. So many chances in that first half. Um, Franny Benali, does Muto start again this weekend? Do they bring Jocelyn back in? Solomon Rondon, I think he's still out. Uh, what about that that midfield? Will we see someone replace either Diame or John Joe Shelby? Where does Shelby play? Does he push up a little bit further? Because whatever way you slice this, I don't think Newcastle are going to afford to draw this game. Brighton at home, they're one of the worst travellers, if not the worst travellers in the Premier League. You've got to go there. You've got to win this game. You've got to restore some confidence, haven't you? 
They've, they've got to shift something somehow. Um, and you, you, we spoke earlier about the momentum for teams that have won games, uh, like a United in this fixture um, against Newcastle, and, and what the international break did for them. I'd, I'd say maybe the international break could have been a good thing for a Newcastle because it gives them time to take stock. And yes, there's, there's problems and issues off the pitch. We know about that. Um, what Benitez does on the pitch... It's it's such a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I think you've got to give a a, a Shelby a little bit like that license to play, uh, like a Zaha um, at, at Palace or a Sigurdsson at Everton. You know, give give him that license to go and be a little bit creative. Yes, he's got defensive duties to do. Everyone does, but give him that little bit more freedom to go and do his thing. Um, I think it's just a case of shuffling the pack, just hoping that something clicks. They grind a result out somehow, uh, and they can build on something. But yeah, it's, it's it's certainly looking very bleak. And they had a real tough start, didn't they, to the season? It's always going to be a tough run of fixtures. Um, but you know, there's a real danger that with confidence levels, and if they weren't to get a result in this game, um, you know, it'd heap a huge amount of pressure on everybody, not just the manager but the players as well. They've got to try and take confidence from the fact that they, for, for a large percentage of that game against Manchester United, they played well, they scored goals at mm. Old Trafford, they were in the driving seat. Yes, you know, it, it fell away from them, but that, they're quite they're, good at the back as well, yeah, weren't they? To not, be fair, they're the not, the, they're not the first team Cable's to have given good. away a lead at old, against Man United at Old Trafford. It, it happens to them; they've got better players. Man United do, um, but if you can't beat Brighton at home hmm. this season. You're in trouble. Brighton are useless away from home. They've not won away from home in ages. Their record on the road is terrible, and they, you know they they played really well last time against West Ham. They got the result, but you know this is a game that Newcastle simply have got to win. They've not won a game yet, and they've got to put a performance on and win in front of their own fans. It's their worst ever start, as you said, in front of their own fans. If Mike Ashley can buy House of Fraser, but he can't buy you know a striker on loan for his manager for mm. those fifty thousand that turn up every week, what chance have you got now? If Tammy Abraham goes to Aston. Villa and Benitez couldn't get him in at a Premier League Newcastle what chance have you got I think he deserves much better I think he's done really well for them with what he's had and if I was him I'd be thinking you know as much as the fans love me I I need to jump ship here and and, and go get myself into a better club with better finances because unfortunately I can only see Newcastle going one way I absolutely agree that the Rafa deserves some money to spend I've got to just take issue with the fact that Rafa's doing a good job right now he is not doing a good job The, the players they have there uh, Shelby is more than good enough to be in the top 10 of the Premier League so for me as I always say Perez I'm a big fan of Yushinori Muto liked him at Mainz years ago I think he's a good player defensive pairing Lascelles and Federico Fernandez. That's, that's up there and also Dubravka's a good keeper they've got seven really good players and yet they're below Huddersfield Tom are you telling me Bournemouth can spend 25 million on Lerma oh they definitely New- should have spent on, more money hang on Newcastle haven't broken their record since they signed Michael Owen so you know, and they, they get fifty thousand. They get fifty thousand fans through their home gates yeah, every week. Yeah, th- that's not for debate. So, they got to spend more money. But Rafa Benitez has a better squad right now than Cardiff, Huddersfield, maybe Fulham, probably Southampton, Crystal Palace, minus Zahar, better than Brighton. Yeah, but that's as the good as Tom, West Ham. Tom, they're a championship. There is a club that's come up from the championship. So I don't think they are too dissimilar. They didn't spend a hundred million like Fulham. They haven't spent the same amount as Huddersfield, but they've just got actually some decent players from their time in the championship and before that in the Premier League. But I don't know if they're squad is that much better I really mm. don't I think if we rewind the clock 12 months we were having this same conversation Newcastle didn't start that well last season not as badly as this but they were in the bottom half towards the relegation zone for a long time and they had a run of results after Christmas last year which just pulled them away and they ended up finishing comfortable mid-table and I, I wouldn't surprise me if that happens again this season if it does it will be because of Rafa 
I mm. think, and what he manages to do with the resources he's got. Mike Ashley isn't going to go out and buy him loads of players in January. He bought him a spaghetti bolognese, didn't he? <laughs> what more do you want? What positions he play? <laughs> Dough balls? <laughs> <laughs> the Italian no, international can't... spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> what a great guy. Listen, we've got to move on. Uh, last game we not mentioned. Cardiff against Fulham. Briefly on this one. Cardiff winless in their last eight Premier League home games. Going back to their last time in the Premier League. Guess who the last team they beat was? It was Fulham in March 2014. There's a visitors this weekend. Cardiff, you know, the, I've got to ask you this one, David Connolly. They embarrassed themselves, I think, a bit at Tottenham last week. They defended well, then Neil Warnock let everyone down, I think, with the way he responded to that Joe Raw sending off. It was an awful challenge. It was worthy of a red, and he, he kind of does what he does, that Sunday League manager thing that he does. But Fulham at home, and it's, it's a must-win game, right? We've got to do must-win here. Yeah, this could be a uh, battle of the two teams who are going to be in the Championship next season. They're both for a last season. Uh, they've got Liverpool next um, November I think is going to define their season they've got Leicester Brighton Everton Wolves now to me if they don't pick any points up there they're doomed as it is Fulham worth defensive record but the thing is Cardiff have got no goals in them so you know Medine's on the bench he's got no goals you just go for it Murphy you could go on where mm. are they going to get their goals from mm. Uh, and Franny on that defence Fulham David Connolly says their worst defence in the league they've gone four at the back three at the back against Arsenal didn't work out I mean Slavica Kanovic's face when the fifth went in he was exasperated I don't think he knew what was going on how do you recover from that and what do they do against Cardiff this weekend do they play four at the back will they go five will they, what are they going to do I, th- I think they've got a it, it, it's a tough one because for both teams as David's just mentioned this is a game they need to win home or away both sides uh, if they want to have any real aspirations of staying up um, I, I think it is that real typical six-pointer at this moment. Um, so, yes, you want to be solid defensively, but when you're shipping four and five, um, th- that's an issue. So how do you set up? It, it, it's a tough call. Um, you know, it, and if your team's not scoring either, it, it's just a double-edged sword. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I think it's going to be a team that's brave on the day, that's um, brave in attacking, but also showing some real sort of stomach and fight mm. uh, at the other end of the pitch to, to keep a clean sheet I think for Fulham Jokanovic is is been so naive since his promotion thinking that you know spending that amount of money with those players and he's going to play the same way to me Jokanovic is at times only thinking about his own reputation as a ball playing team who loved possession make it really big a la Pep Guardiola and I think his teams need to just you know suck it up we're not going to play like that we can't afford to and you know what they do have they have Mitrovic who Newcastle would love you just lump the ball to him but actually stop conceding goals and just be a bit more defensive mm. and, and don't worry about you know splitting your wing backs if you play through at the back going really really high making the pitch massive you know I think he's overcomplicating it and maybe he thought that he could actually do well playing the same way in the Premier League and they've been found out he's going to have to rein it in I feel that they can't play that way they haven't got the athleticism Schurler hasn't got the legs that he, he used to have or he never did you know McDonald and Johansson they don't have enough pace in the side they don't have enough as I said athleticism their back four has completely changed every week yeah. I think he, he just needs to have a, a real rethink I hope he's done that in the international break and just be a bit more pragmatic They've both got actually terrible defences on paper. Cardiff, you'd think they would be more solid at the back because of the Warnock reputation they've got. Well, they've got the joint worst goal difference in the league, mainly because they can't score many goals, but they've also conceded 17. So you're looking at who's got the better attack. As David said, Cardiff can't score goals. Fulham, they, at least they do have players that have got a goal in them. So, I mean, you'd, you'd be looking at it if, from that point of view. I'd say Fulham maybe will edge it. Yeah, I think Fulham need to get Tom Kearney back in this team, injured at the moment. And you mentioned McDonald, he's not playing. They're playing Seri and Zambo and Grisha and 
They look like strangers, and they certainly did against Arsenal, but a big game for both of these teams. Listen, we're out of time. Thanks to our panel for this week. A reminder, if you're listening to this programme on a radio station, you can download an extended podcast. And it's very long this week. We had a lot to say. Uh, search for TalkSport Premier League Preview Show on ACAST, iTunes, any other good podcast provider. Thanks a lot. See you next week. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.